vision and values as a church. Last Sunday we talked about the Trinity. Today we'll be talking about the sovereignty of God. I thought I would take those two subjects that are fairly easy to explain in 20 or less minutes and and uh, expound them here in your presence. I was talking to a friend on the phone yesterday and we were laughing about that and, you know, two of the toughest subjects to cover on the face of the earth and we're doing them two weeks in a row in a relatively limited period of time. Next week, we're going to be talking about heaven. So uh, if you can survive the sovereignty of God today, we'll come back next week and talk about where we're headed when all of this is over. And again, a subject which we cannot exhaust in just a few minutes' time, but it's so much a part of who we are as a church. We, after all, believe in the Word of God, and we believe the things that it teaches. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we are we rather encounter... The one true and living God who absolutely is in control of all things. And so we're going to talk about that just now because, after all, we affirm that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And as we consider that it is God who has created all things out of the word of his power, by the word of his power, and out of nothing, it is astounding, especially given that we are coming to see and understand more and more of the universe on a macroscopic level out there in the vast expanse by use of the telescopic technology, but also microscopically as we look using the magnifying lens to, to look down at things and we see and we are astounded at the building blocks of the world and of life and to think that all of this has been created for a purpose. We believe that as Christians. We believe that God has a purpose for all things because he is the designer of everything. And designing means, by way of definition, that there's a purpose for it. If you design an automobile, there's a purpose behind that, or for clothing, or anything else. Designed for a reason. We believe that especially people are created in the image of God, and we are here for a purpose. And so we look and we consider as creation declares to us the truth of a creator. The Bible reveals this creator to us, and we know more about him through the revealed word. But what we also come to understand as we know more and more about God is we learn more and more about ourselves and our own inclination not to believe in God as he is, but rather to produce for ourselves the God that we prefer. That's called idolatry, and that's what Isaiah talks about in the first part of the chapter. As he mentions these uh, these Babylonian gods, Bel and Nebo, stooping their idols are on beasts and livestock. These these images that literally can be carried around on beasts of burden, and they're heavy and they weigh the animals down. But in the meantime, while they're weighing the animals down, they themselves do absolutely nothing. So we have to confront our own tendency in all of this that we prefer to invent false gods rather than repent and worship the one true and living God. We would rather invent false gods than to worship the Lord himself. The reformer John Calvin speaks of this eloquently when he says that it's man's nature, that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. The mind begets an idol and the hand gives it birth. So we conceive of a false god, and then we go about producing that, either through writing or through actually sculpting. I remember being in the um, village of San Yi with one of our missionaries a couple of years ago, and Kathy had gone with me to Taiwan. And we'd finished that business in Taipei regarding Christ College, and then we went with uh, 
our good missionary friend Brenda as she took us down to her village where she ministers in San Yi. And there we saw idols being produced in shops. And man, these were ugly looking things. I thought, boy, if you put that up in your house, that's going to scare you. I was just imagining what it would be like to wake up in the middle of the night and run into one of those things. <sighs> Had a friend of ours whose wife, uh, because our friend is, um, is a great fan of old westerns, gave him a, a cardboard cutout of Roy Rogers. And it's life-size. And, you know, guns drawn and everything. Trigger's not in it. It's just Roy Rogers. And had that thing in his garage. And he put that thing up, and he was so proud of it. But he went in there one day, having totally forgotten about Roy being in the back. And he raised the door, and the light came on. And there's a man standing there with guns pointing at him. And old Horace about had a heart attack. Yes, we have all kinds of images around us. And our tendency is to want to produce images to worship rather than submit to God as he reveals himself to us in Scripture. And so we have to confront that. Our tendency to make God out to be smaller than he is. And by the way, at the same time, when we do that, we make ourselves out to be more than we should be. So there's a vested interest in this, right? To conceive of a God who is less than he really is and to make more of ourselves than we ought to. We have that tendency throughout life. Isaiah confronts us also in that these idols that are carried around are useless. Look at that in verses 1 in particular. We carry around idols uselessly, but on the other hand, the Lord carries his people to safety. Verse 4. Yes, indeed. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. So you see that great contrast. The gods we think of are ones we carry around with us. We can manage them. But when we repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself comes to abide with us. And it is not we who carry God around, but rather he is the one who carries us. He bears us to our destination. Huge contrast in ideas. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, says the psalmist in Psalm 96.5. But the Lord made the heavens. Do you see the contrast? The one true God made all that there is. The other gods are just products of the creation themselves. In San Yi, all those false idols were made of wood. Wood created by God for our use and for his glory. But rather than using them for their intended purposes, we rather manufacture false gods. And we can't look down our pious noses at the folks who live in San Yi, Taiwan, because in our more sophisticated way, right here we manufacture idols. Some of us are carrying idols around in our billfolds right now. Oh, wrong pocket. There it is. I had one of those moments. Where is it? Yes, we can idolize the currency we carry, any number of other things. But let's consider it. That in this passage of scripture, while Isaiah confronts his own people with their own idolatry, carrying it over into our own context, we also must be confronted with idolatry. We also run headlong into a God who is sovereign over all creation. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is God. There is no other. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3 Section 1, 
in a document that was conceived of in the 17th century, in the 1600s, in London, England, at the behest of Parliament. Those Westminster divines, those theologians and pastors came together, and in answering some of the most profound questions that can be asked, declared that God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his will, his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And we read that and we think, boy, that's philosophical language right there. Preacher, what did you just say? What I said is this, is that God is in charge of everything. But that doesn't make him responsible for the evil in the world that takes place. So we at one and the same time believe in a sovereign God, but we also recognize that there in this creation, he has created it in such a way that people have wills that operate and people choose to do things that are wrong and evil. Satan himself has chosen to do evil and wrong. And so in this universe, it isn't God who operates everything as though we are puppets on a string. Rather, he sovereignly superintends while a whole bunch of mess is going on. That's my paraphrase. God sovereignly in control over this mess that we call a world that has fallen into sin. He is not the author of sin. He doesn't cause evil things to happen. But sovereignly, he allows things to happen. And he is sovereign. Otherwise, he could not say that he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. So one of the things we have to say right off the bat is we affirm God's sovereignty, but we cannot begin possibly to explain it exhaustively. We do affirm it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Works all things. You know what the word all means in Greek? All. There's your language lesson for the day. I went through three years of seminary to learn that. I just want you to know. He works everything, all things, according to the counsel of his will. And so we gladly affirm that. We believe God is God because that's really what we're talking about here is just God living up to the definition of what his name means, that he rules and reigns over everything. In Isaiah, as we see those words so eloquently stated, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Now, of course, in the language of accommodation, there appear to be times in Scripture where it seems as if God regrets something that he's done. Oftentimes that's pointed out in Genesis chapter 6, for example, when wickedness in the world 
has risen to such a level that God says in the old King James, I repented that I ever made man, or I regret that I ever made man. Now, if we take that text out of context, we're left to say, well, perhaps God makes mistakes. Perhaps he doesn't know the end from the beginning. Perhaps he's not sovereign. Or... We understand it correctly and we say God's accommodating himself to us. Things are so bad it is as if he messed up. Not that he did. Otherwise, it would be in total contradiction to what I've just read. So it's a mystery, isn't it? And let me say this. I would much rather, and I'm going to come back to it in a little bit, but let me go ahead and affirm it. I would much rather live with this mystery of knowing that God is sovereign over all things. And yet, I don't understand why he does things the way that he does. I would much rather live with that mystery than to live with a concept of God who is sitting in heaven wishing that things were different, but is powerless to do anything about it. Because if we have that, we are not worshiping God, we're worshiping an idol. So give me the mystery any day of the week. The Lord is sovereign over his creation. He's sovereign over all things. Now, of course, that's called into question. One of the words that's hated in our day is a word that comes from the Greek called teleology. It is a a word which means that life has purpose, that there's a definition, that there's a destiny to life. That's not thought well of because it runs contrary to the notions of biological evolution idea behind a biological evolution, a non-theistic evolution, is that everything is just here by accident. You know, we're just a product of random chance as things developed out of the primordial slime, as amino acids came together and formed various things, and then life sprung out of that, and wow, here we are. But as believers who know that God has created all things, we know that life does have purpose. You're not the product of random chance. Let me just say that to you for a moment. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Somebody may have told you that in life. It's even possible that parents have told you that, that adults told you that in school. You are not an accident. You are created in the image of God. You have dignity. You have purpose. And you have potential, particularly as you realize it in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you on Calvary's cross. Because having been created by God and having gone astray like sheep, he, the good shepherd, has come to seek after you and to save you because you have purpose. So surrender to him. Believe in him. Don't accept the lie. As scores and scores and scores of people in our country and in the world are accepting. God has a purpose. We don't understand it all. You know, you might wonder, why is our pastor really here? I'm really wondering about that sometimes. Why am I here? Why are you here? We don't have to have a full answer to that question, but what we can have is confidence in the one who created us that regardless of whether I know, he knows, and I'm here just as long as I need to be for that purpose to be fulfilled. So be confident in that. He knows the end from the beginning because he is both the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
And also we affirm that the Lord is sovereign over our deliverance, over our salvation. Not only does he govern and rule in the, in the world, in the universe, to accomplish his purpose, when it comes to salvation in particular, we know that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. He also affirms, the Lord Jesus himself declares in John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Does that sound like somebody who's sitting in heaven hoping things turn out the way he wants them to? Or is this the sovereign Lord who is able to say, without any peradventure of a doubt, those that belong to me, will be saved. Yes, indeed. My Father has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So this gives us confidence. This allows us to know that that all things are well, that even even though I can be so capricious, you know, I'll go to the ice cream shop one time and I want uh, pralines and cream. The next time I go, I want black cherry. How is it that I can, you know, vacillate between things that way? You know, speaking tongue-in-cheek, but we can be rather undependable as human beings, less than consistent. How is it that the Lord God Almighty can follow through on everything that he says because he is God and there's none like him? So where we fail, we can entrust ourselves to the one who prevails and who succeeds in all that he's undertaken. The Lord Jesus Christ has never done anything by half measure. Not in his life, not in his death, not in his resurrection or ascension or his enthronement or his interceding for us at this very moment. He has never done anything in half measure. He always carries to completion his every intent and purpose. And when he has declared to save us to the uttermost, you better know those who trust in him are saved to the uttermost. And will be in heaven in the ages to come because of his sovereignty, because of his determination to save us and to keep us. It's not based on my capricious will, but on his certain will. So that we declare. I mean, think about the comparison. Think about Elijah on Mount Carmel back in the days of King Ahab when he called together all the false prophets and all of the nation of Israel was gathered together in that one location. And there the great contest was stated where those who worshipped idols, those who worshipped Baal were placed before the congregation of Israel. And there was Elijah who stood alone, who spoke for the Lord. And he said to Israel, how long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you limp between these two ideas? If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And so we too, when confronted with the truth, must understand that that great choice placed before mankind throughout the ages still stands. If you prefer to worship idols, if you would have those, then worship them. But if the Lord be God, then worship him. You can't mix the two. And in our culture, we practice syncretism. While affirming faith in God, we all carry currency around in our pockets, don't we? In God we trust. But at the same time, practice idolatry. If the Lord be God, then follow him. But if Baal, 
than follow him. You will wind up in the destiny over which each of those gods reigns. For Baal, that means nothing less than facing the wrath of the true God, which is hell itself. But heaven awaits those who repent and trust in the sovereign Lord. So let me conclude by saying some practical things. Can't use the word takeaway because it seems like somebody has that phrase copyrighted. But somebody please remind him that I did use the word ubiquitous last week in a sermon. So if someone else were preaching, he might well say these are takeaways. But I'm just going to call them just some practical applications. Knowing that our good and gracious God is sovereign means this. First of all, it does not mean that we can explain why everything happens. Belief in sovereignty of God oftentimes can carry with it along in our minds a certain degree of arrogance. Because we know that God is in control of all things, sometimes we're prone to think that that gives us the prerogative to explain why everything happens. Let me just go ahead and tell you, you don't know. And the longer that I've been in ministry, and as of this summer, it has been 30 years of full-time ministry. I have more and more come to be at peace with saying to people when having certain questions posed to me, I don't know. Christians will stand up in front of news cameras or try to speak to someone who's going through some profound grief and try to explain why the hurricane struck the city that it struck or why death has come into your household like Job's friends who were so good about explaining things that they didn't understand. Don't be like Job's friends. I would rather, as I said earlier, remember I told you I was going to come back to it? I would rather serve a sovereign God who has not revealed everything to me, but who knows what he's doing, than to serve a God that I can put in a box and explain fully to people. I can't explain God fully. He has a purpose in everything. And guess what? He hadn't told me what all of his purposes are. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, the things that we need to know, are for ourselves and for our children. Paraphrase, God has told us everything we need to know, but he's not told us everything. So don't try to explain everything. We don't know all the answers. On the other hand, we also need to affirm that belief in the sovereignty of God should never be a pretext for an excuse for doing wrong. God made me this way. Or God created the circumstances. I had a man who had stepped out on his wife and had an extramarital affair. And he blamed it on God because he said, God brought her into my workplace and we developed a relationship. And don't blame sin on God. That's blasphemous. Yes, we believe he's sovereign. But he doesn't make you sin. However, belief in sovereignty gives us peace and allows us to give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, doesn't mean for all circumstances. Lord, thank you for this COVID. Or thank you for whatever it may be. You know, you may be at a point where you can do that. I just can't say that I'm thankful for COVID. 
But I can give thanks in all circumstances. By the way, don't panic. I don't have COVID. I'm, I'm, I'm negative. I had it. We give thanks in all circumstances because, again, we know that God works together all things. He works all things together for the good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And I can draw peace from that. So this world is in chaos. I watch the news and I get as upset and aggravated as you do. What in the world is going on? And I can't begin to explain it all, but I know above all this maddening chaos, God rules and reigns. And even though I can't discern it, there's a purpose in it all. You see, a a superficial profession will get you in trouble. That's what happened historically. There was a great falling away from the church following the awful civil war that this country suffered in the 1860s. Because suddenly people realized things weren't getting better and better. 600,000 people died in that awful conflagration. I was in London back in 1999 and was... uh, in Hackney Downs, in that section of London, and we were at a Baptist church that once had been a building that was filled with people and was flourishing, and, and there were just a handful of people then hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And I was asking a man, I said, what happened? I mean, Charles Spurgeon preached the dedicatory sermon for that church building, and the pulpit was still there that he preached from. I was secretly conniving how to get that thing on a plane and get it back to the United States. But I thought, I'll never get that checked in his luggage. It's bigger than this one. I asked the man, what happened? He said, if you'll go outside in the foyer and look on those plaques, you'll see the names of men who died in the First World War. And in England, particularly because millions of their own citizens died in that war, afterwards there was a, there was a huge amount of, of, uh, of disappointment of despair and people turned away from God because they thought that he had so blessed them that everything was going to get better and better and it didn't but you see God doesn't pull any punches in scripture he tells us that we live in a sinful world he tells us that there are going to be consequences for that sin and there will be wars and rumors of wars There will be domestic abuse. There will be child abuse. There will be violence in our streets. We realize that's a reality. And so while God is sovereign over all things and ultimately saves us to the uttermost, he's saving us out of this mess. He's not promising us a bed of roses in the midst of a sinful world. We can trust his word. We can believe that what he declares will come to pass because a sovereign God is behind it. You know, a guarantee is only as good as the person who makes it, right? I don't want to belabor that when we're talking about products that we buy and who stands behind the warranty. Sometimes they don't stand behind those things, do they? Well, God is always, always behind his word. That's why we sing songs like Standing on the Promises, because we know He fulfills his word. And belief in God's sovereignty gives us confidence in prayer since he can do all things and no purpose of his can be thwarted. As the servant of the Lord Job said once upon a time. Now that doesn't mean God gives us what we want in the way that we ask for it. Oftentimes the answer is no. And many times he answers in ways that are not what we expected or even thought of or asked for. I remember a church up in South Carolina one time that was praying for God to bless them with growth. And suddenly, 
there was a huge influx of Hispanic migrant workers in their community. And while they were praying for growth, one of the elders said at a session meeting, a very awkward session meeting, he said, you know, I reckon we've just been praying for a bunch of folks that look and act like we do. He said, we need to realize God's answered our prayers in a way that we didn't expect. And so thank God that they realized that there are a whole lot of people out there who don't act like us and look like us, that there's a whole world out there to reach. And they began to have a ministry among those dear people who had come to live and work among them. And they saw growth. But it wasn't what they expected. It was better. God does that. So when we pray, we pray confidently. God is able. He is able to do far exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what that means. And as I've already touched on, I want to say it again. The sovereignty of God means that we have assurance that we are safe in Christ for all eternity. Because when Jesus declared from the cross to Telestai, the debt is paid. It is finished. You can rest assured, he was done. He didn't leave anything undone that needed to be done. For you to be with him in eternity, if you surrender your life and trust in him by faith alone, there will never come a moment when God in weakness is unable to keep you from falling. When he is unable to present you faultless before his glorious throne. When he is unable to do in you what he's purposed to do in Christ Jesus. For he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, even to the day of Christ Jesus. We believe that and we affirm it because we believe in God who is God. He is the Lord. We have to live with many things we can't explain. Grief that is often unbearable. Sorrows that are beyond expressing. Living in the mystery, wondering, God, what is your purpose in all of this? And we ask the question. But by faith we know there's an answer. And so we declare, I will trust when I cannot see in the God of eternity and believe his will is always best for me. I will trust when I cannot see because God loves me. God will complete his purpose in me. And one day by grace, I'm going to see that what he had in mind for me was far greater and grander than anything this puny mind could ever have imagined. That's the God I love and serve and worship. And I pray that you know him too through Christ Jesus our Lord. For he loves with an everlasting love. And his power is such that nothing can ever separate you from that love that is ours in Christ Jesus. Do you hear me, church? Nothing. Because he is God and there is no other. Bless his name. Heavenly Father, as we consider this unfathomable truth of which we haven't even begun to scratch the surface. We ask you, O Lord, by your mighty power, to reveal yourself to us so that we may know you and be able to make you known to a world that desperately needs good news. Father, encourage us and strengthen us and help us, comfort us in grief as we struggle with questions that we don't have the answers to now. Yet, our gracious God, we know that even when things have been intended for evil, we affirm with Joseph that you have meant them for good because you are good.
And so our Father, forgive us. For while we believe, we have unbelief. Strengthen our faith that we may trust. For you are able. You even make a way where there seems to be no way. And you will fulfill all of your word and bring it to completion. And not one of your own will be lost. Not one. And we thank you for the promise. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Let's stand together and sing these gracious words. Receive the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.